Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the My Dead Dragon podcast. I am your host, Catherine LaRanger, and I just had the most amazing conversation with our guest today. I guess it on her podcast. And I can't wait to share that with you when it comes out. We had so much fun. And so I am absolutely thrilled to be continuing this conversation. And my guest is Sue Wilhite. Sue, after reaching the top of her profession in six years, had to endure a health issue in the form of an ulcer. And she realized that these types of illnesses are common in the corporate world and especially in successful women because of their high pressure careers and responsibilities. She became aware that successful women feel stalled and frustrated with their careers because of emotional residues that are holding them back. And Sue has made it her life mission to make sure successful people get off their yeah, but my God, love that. And is now an international number one bestselling author, award-winning show host, a law of attraction coach, and a certified biofield tuning practitioner. And Sue, I am so thrilled to have you as a guest. I'm super excited to hear your story. And so welcome to the show. And can you start us off by sharing your story? How did you come to realize that you had the choice, because it's a choice to become the main character and heroine of your own journey. Well, first of all, Catherine, I'm going to say thank you for having me on the show. And uh, when I reached out to you and said, oh, my God, we're both Joseph Campbell nerds. <laughs> we need to talk. I, I was so thrilled to find another female podcaster talking about the hero's journey. So this is this is so cool. I, I love it. And I love the work that you're doing. So yeah, um, my parents told the story that when I was about three or four, they took me, I, I was born and raised in San Francisco, California. And they took me to a place called the Palace of the Legion of Honor which at the time, at that point, was an art gallery. And they were bringing me to some art exhibit. And, but it was the Palace of the Legion of Honor. And I walked up to the palace guard, the security guy who was sitting there at the door. And I said, <laughs> thank you for taking care of my palace. And he said, it's my honor, princess. And I knew at that point that I was the center of the universe and I was wow. the, you know, I was the princess. This is my palace. You know, you were just taking care of it for me. Um, mm. I was, I was pretty clear about that. Now life events kind of conspired later to push that down um, and make it not quite so obvious to me that I was the hero. Hmm. Um, and we'll fast forward uh, quite a bit, actually, to when I was, uh, I had uh, had a career in IT, in information systems. I had taken, um, I had graduated UC Davis with a degree in comparative literature. And spring quarter, my sophomore or my senior year, I discovered programming. And 
lit up my life. Hmm. I became a programmer. Took After I graduated, I took all these programming classes. And I was really, really good at it. Hmm. And so in six years, I went from stuffing reports into cubicle boxes to being IT manager of a multi-million dollar company because I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. The thing that made me really good at it is because I liked people mm. and I was very customer focused. Mm. I really wanted to make it so my customers, the people in the companies that I worked for could get their jobs done better and faster so that they could have a life. <sighs> All hail the IT people who do that. I just have to say, oh my God, so appreciated. <laughs> if I was, people tried to poach me. If they left the companies that I was working at, they tried to poach me for their company because they wanted to have that resource, which is how I got a couple of my jobs. <laughs> the IT manager one. And so I was under a lot of pressure that I put on myself to make things work out for people, for people to have the best possible service. Hmm. And as you read in my intro, I ended up with an ulcer. Hmm. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Please. Ulcers, ulcers were horrible. I felt like I had a volcano going off in my gut all the time. Hmm. And I wanted to do anything I could to get rid of it. And I wasn't a big drug person. I'd watched my mom be on several different medications. And this was just not like, you know what, I'm not going down that road. But here was this ulcer. And I had to take medicine. I had to take this medicine every 12 hours, or the volcano went off. Hmm. And one day, a friend of mine, twisted my arm and persuaded me to go to a hypnotherapy demo. And I thought that this was utter BS. Um, My experience of hypnotherapy was, um, bless her heart, Pat Collins, the hip hypnotist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, or occasionally HBO with these hypnosis shows for entertainment. Mm -hmm. And this was my only perception of it. And so I was like, I don't want to cook like a chicken. (laughs) You know, no, this is, no, I don't want to do this. And she got me in there and the gentleman who was doing the demo said, has anybody got, you know, anything they worked on? I said, yeah, I've got an ulcer. Because at that point it was like, you know, he's going to fail and it's not going to make any difference whatsoever, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to prove that this guy is going to fail spectacularly. Yeah. And an hour and a half later, I didn't have an ulcer. Wow. He demonstrated several techniques. And I don't know which of the ones was the one that was the deciding factor or all of them in combination. It worked. Hmm. No more ulcer. No ulcer to this day. That was in Hmm. 1993. Hmm. Wow. And I went, he's got something. Mm-hmm. I want that. Mm. And I realized that was one of those magic moments mm. of I'm going to turn my entire career around. Mm. I need to do this. Mm. 
I can't abandon my job. All of these people are depending on me. How can I make this happen? This is where my programming brain came in. Mm-hmm. The logic. <laughs> so I actually worked out a plan where I went and researched hypnotherapy schools and found a school and went to my boss and I said, I'm giving you 18 months notice. I'm going to spend a year with these folks getting training. I am going to get trained on everything that I can. I already understand business because I've been doing it from the inside out. Mm. I have been developing podcasting. Sorry, I've been developing programs for people in all departments, in finance, in uh, Mm. accounting, in marketing, in sales, in everything. I already know what this is about. Mm. So I spent a year doing doing the training and, and then some, and then I spent six months building my practice. And then I left to their great surprise. <laughs> You're like, I told you it was going to happen. Told you I was going. Huh. And they hadn't replaced me because they didn't believe that at the end I would actually go hmm. because of my customer focused, mm-hmm. my customer centric philosophy. They were like, no, she can't leave. She's never going to leave. Mm. she's got loyalty you know to the bone mm-hmm. i'm like yeah i've got loyalty to all these folks out here who need more than mm. just a program just a report and so that was when uh, that to me was like one of the hugest decisions in my life was to just walk away from a six-figure <laughs> career and build it up somewhere else. And so I gathered allies and mentors. I went and joined the local chamber of commerce mm-hmm. and joined all the networking groups that I could because I wanted to learn and I wanted to absorb and I wanted to get as much help as I could building this practice. Mm. Wow, Sue, that is so interesting. Such a fascinating story. And there's a couple things that kind of stood out for me. And I want to kind of like, stretch them out a little bit. So the first the first one that really was like, Oh, that's interesting. Is that young girl at the art gallery? And she equated being a princess means being a hero. So, so tell me kind of, because that, and and the reason I'm curious about this is because I think for a lot of people, there's this idea or this perception that the princess, you're just going to like sit around and wait for this, like Prince Charming, and you're going to have this happily ever after, right? You're like this kind of like, um, uh, yeah, you're just an adornment, right? That, that, that the purpose is to wait for this prince to show up and then that's it. So, so what was it? How was it that for you, the princess equated to being the hero? My parents were big readers. Mm. And I was reading at a very, very early age. And in order to keep up with my voracious reading habit, even at that age, my parents gave me a complete set of Andrew Lang's fairy books. Mm. Andrew Lang wrote, I think, eight or nine 
colored fairy books. There was the blue fairy book, the red fairy book, the green fairy book, the brown fairy book, the yellow fairy book. Fairy, he collected fairy tales from all over the world. Mm. And by all over the world, I mean, you know, Native American, uh, South American, uh, Asian, Japan, China, Korea, Africa, every country in Africa, um, all the European varieties, um, Arabia, all mm. of the stories. And so the princess was not always the goal. Oh. Sometimes the princess was the hero. Hmm. And they were the ones that actually mostly weren't the stupid ones. <laughs> I hate to say. <laughs> you know, something would happen. Um, let's do Cupid and Psyche, you know, which is somewhat more known. So Psyche, you know, had somebody fall in love with her, you had Cupid fall in love with her. Um, she did do something stupid um, where she tried to look at Cupid in the light um, and, uh, and then he left. But then she had to endure her mother-in-law's stuff of jealousy and you know not wanting a daughter-in-law in the first place. But she persevered. She had to accept help. She had to do the tasks. She had mm. to show up in a way that was very powerful and saying, okay, you sent me these tasks. This is what I need to do in order to get what I want. That's mm. what I'm going to do. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. And I love that determination, right? That, that this is what I want. And, and I think, you know, so often we buy into an idea of what we want. So we already have that determination. We have that focus. We, we have those skills, but the, the what, right, that we're focusing on maybe isn't what's really it for us. So for you, it was that IT job, helping people, serving people. And, and it gave you an ulcer, like it literally, right, your body's like, hey, 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 something's going on here. Listen to me, listen to me. That ultimately brought you to that kind of like, ah, oh, the heavens opening up moment where you're like, this is what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it was taking it to another level. Mm-hmm. And in the story of Cupid and Psyche, she accepted help, mm. right? The, the, the tasks that were put in front of her were impossible for a human being by themselves to do. Mm. And in every case, there was someone or something that helped her. And mm. my favorite was also a lesson that was kind of worked in there is the lesson was don't piss off the wrong people. Mm. Um, One of Psyche's tasks was to get Persephone's night cream. And Persephone was the daughter of Ceres, who was the goddess of nature. And she had been kidnapped by Hades, who was the god of the underworld and taken into the underworld. And so she spent six months with him and six months with her mother. Um, the reason Hades captured her was because Aphrodite had slipped him a potion. (laughs) And so although Persephone came to, you know, an accommodation with her husband, 
she was not happy with Aphrodite. Uh And so when Psyche showed up and said, I'm supposed to ask you for my for your night cream. My my mother-in-law is trying to do this. Persephone was like, I got you, girl. (laughs) I'm gonna get that woman, (laughs) that goddess. And here's your night cream. You're escorted out. Hmm. Hmm. Whereas Aphrodite thought that this was a death sentence, a literal death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So don't off the wrong people. Yeah. (laughs) And so Sue, do you think that at the human, so the role of, you know, guides, mentors, allies, coaches, supporters, and we, you and I had this conversation on your podcast about this human journey, really, it's it's a growth journey, we're here to grow and evolve. And that that's, that's a belief that I have. Mm-hmm. And so do you think or what are your thoughts on the, the idea or the concept that we're actually not supposed to be able to do it by ourselves? So many ideas came in. Mm-hmm. Like, where do I start with this? <laughs> they only got the one mouth. Got to get it out that way. So one of the things that we talked about sort of in between podcasts was we are all one. Mm-hmm. We are all part of, we are all, I call it, we are all drops of the divine. Mm-hmm. And combined, we make something bigger. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't think human beings can be isolated and and it it doesn't work to be isolated to be alone to not ask for help because mm-hmm. you know there's that that lovely greeting namaste which mm-hmm. is the, the goddess the divine the god the universe within me acknowledges and accepts and celebrates the divine within you. Mm-hmm. If everybody went around with that in their heads and said, yeah. oh, this is another divine being. Yeah. Let's let's get together and do something. Yeah. And their hearts too, right? Because I think there's that, there's a difference between kind of cognitively, mentally knowing it, but yeah. actually like embodying that knowledge. Yes. Yes. And it makes it so much easier to reach out for help mm. when it's so if you wanted to pick up your coffee mug, would you ask your hand to please pick up the coffee mug and feel bad for asking? Mm. Not usually picking it up right <laughs> now. There it is. It's decaf now. It, it, it's the same concept. We're mm. all one. Ask for help. Hmm. It, 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 and don't be embarrassed by it. Yeah. Don't be, don't be shamed by it. I don't care what your gender is or what your upbringing is. Ask for help. Look at all of the cooperative societies that succeed. Hmm. What would you say to people who maybe have asked for help and it hasn't shown up in the way that they thought it was going to show up? Ooh, that's a complicated one. That is a kind of. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think there are three answers to that. One is we have our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And we ask for help with our conscious mind and say, help me. 
but there's the subconscious mind that's putting out a conflicting signal Mm. that says, I can't ask for help. Nobody will help me. Mm. Every time I ask for help, it's screwed. It, fill in the yeah. blanks. Of I don't deserve you it. Yeah. Yeah. It. Super common All one. Yeah. So you're consciously saying, mm. please help. And unconsciously going, don't even. Mm. I'm not open to receiving. I'm not open to yeah. receiving. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Or if it does yeah. happen, it's going to screw up. Yeah. Or if it does happen, I'm going to pick apart. Right. Because we're our, the reticular activating system portion of our brain is trying to find evidence to support the belief that you can't trust help or get help or want help. So yeah. reason number two, we're supposed to do it ourselves. Mm. Sometimes. So here's here's uh, going back to kind of nature um, uh, examples if a butterfly or a moth is trying to escape the chrysalis mm. and you open the chrysalis, mm-hmm. that being will never fly. Mm-hmm. So sometimes help is not what is needed. Mm. And sometimes you have to do it yourself because that's the only way it's like resistance builds muscle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Only way that you can make that happen. So would help in that case. So, so, so how do you know the difference between the two and then <laughs> might help in that case, just look like someone encouraging you saying you can do it. You've got this. I believe in you. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. That would be the best possible. Mm. help. Or to say, all right, the, there's there's a couple of ways that you could do this, and mm. here are some strategies for accomplishing this. Mm. Check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you you if, if any of the parents out there know that you cannot help your child to walk, right? They got to mm-hmm. do it. They mm-hmm. got to be the ones getting off their butt and toddling around and sitting down hard, <laughs> getting up again and going. And I've done my share of, you know, giving my finger to toddlers and helping them, you know, walk around. They let go as soon as they possibly can. They are not holding on. And (laughs) I love that example, Sue, because you talk about the yeah, but, right? And so where are we? And for ourselves right now, when you're listening, thinking, noticing, oh, is this a yeah, but moment where I'm actually like on my butt like a toddler and I need to do it myself. And yes, there can be those people, those supporters, those encouragers, but nobody can make that choice for you to get up and learn how to walk. Right, right. Hmm. It's not going to happen. They don't need to wait for permission, right? Mm -hmm. That was actually a a formative moment in my own life. Um, Speaking of asking for help, um, when I was learning to walk, I, I had a recovered memory uh, in a meditation. It wasn't somebody who was guiding me to this particular point. It just like flashed into my brain of I was learning to walk and my mom let go of my hand. She was sitting on the couch and I walked across the room and I turned around and, you know, did a kind of a yay, I walked. 
And my mother was looking at me with this grief and shock in her eyes Mm. because I was no longer dependent upon her. Mm. And that was a formative moment in my life Mm -hmm. that sometimes doing these things means that you're going to disappoint people. Yeah. And it's just the way it is. Yeah. And how do you develop the courage to live with that? Or to, to take the step anyway. Yeah, because we are all on our own path. Mm-hmm. We are all on our own path. And um, I'm kind of getting into childbearing here. <laughs> My theory is childbearing. Uh, you don't own your children. Mm-hmm. You are guides for your children. You are not yeah. the owners of your children. Yeah. You are You are the mentors. You are the counselors, but you don't own them. Mm. That kind of applies to partners and spouses as well. Yeah. And friends and yep. Yeah. We Mm. we have this structure in English that says my, which implies, Mm. you know, you got your little hooks in them, but really it's got to be a reciprocal Mm -hmm. relationship. And if you come back to the concept of the namaste, which is where the divine in me sees and honors and recognizes the divine in you and knowing that it's actually all working out, like it's all okay. And that at the level of the spiritual experience, everything is fine, right? And and when we're kind of relating with each other, with ourselves at this human experience, it can feel not fine. And, and we can kind of get those hooks in and we can kind of, you know, feel over, we need to overcompensate or help or support or be responsible for. But if we can start to notice that in ourselves and really, you know, kind of come back to center. Mm-hmm. And if we all just really allowed ourselves to ask, what would I love for this life? And if each person was doing that and we were supporting and encouraging and honoring the divinity in each other, Oh my gosh, what a world this would be. What would a world be? Wow. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be cool? Mm-hmm. You know, and so many communes start out with that, with that principle. Mm. And if people within the communes haven't worked out their stuff, yeah. then all of that stuff comes out. Yeah. And some of that stuff can only come out in the context of relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And that was actually the third one is, Mm. you know, there's stuff to work out in the relationship between you and who you asked for help. Mm. And and so how did you or where are you at with that? You you talked about this ulcer. um, And and I'm, I'm putting my language here. So let me know if this doesn't resonate for you, but being a reflection almost of that pressure that you felt to please people. So so how have you navigated that pattern and where are you at with it now and 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 what were maybe some of the steps or learnings that you had along that process (laughs) (laughs) oh i get to relearn it all the time (laughs) i get to do it all the time it's it's one of those that is it's always present Mm. it's always present there's there is a piece of me that knows that my purpose on the planet is to help people realize their power, their beingness, their divine being 
And if I could just figure something out to, mm. to open that up, to get them to realize, I know that I'm not the one to realize it for them. Yeah. I really get that. I've always gotten that. But if I could, if there's something that I can trigger, that I can, that I can have that would just, you know, yeah. blow their minds yeah. <laughs> so that they could get it. Oh, that is so cool. And so I will do a lot Mm. to help with that. And so since 95, when I quit my job all the way up through today, um, I have uh, experimented or experienced just about every technique on the planet. Mm. And some of that was because um, for uh, a few years, I was the event manager for the largest new age bookstore in Northern California. And I was booking over 300 events a year. Wow. We had everybody come through our mm-hmm. door. I bet. Every technique there was. And if they wanted to provide sessions for our customers, I had I got to vet them. Ooh. <laughs> A little perk of my job. Yeah. So you name the technique, I've probably experienced it one way or another. Mm. Um, reconnection, quantum healing, um, Reiki, I was a Reiki master, hypnotherapy, NLP, EFT, all kinds of different methods that you've probably never heard of. Um, and, and what I've come to is the biofield tuning, mm. which is a sound healing technique mm. that uses the electromagnetic frequencies that we're putting out there and allowing the ones that no longer serve us that are causing distortions Hmm. to be released and have that energy go back into the system so that you can be more powerful. Mm. So how does like, do you, is that a thing you do in person or do you, do you, how does that work? Up until 2020, I was doing it in person. And up until a little before 2020, my teacher, the person who created this protocol, um, Eileen McCusick, um, she believed that you must do it in person. Mm. And toward the end of 2019, one of her students said, okay, Eileen, you are a big fan of the scientific method. You need to prove things. You keep saying you can't do this remotely. And with the next breath, you talk about everything being vibration and everybody is connected. Can we test this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they did. And over the process of uh, the progress of six months, they, they tested it remotely within their town yeah. and then across the country and then to England and then to Australia yeah. and proved that pretty much distance doesn't matter. It works. Yeah. And so in 2020, when I was taking February of 2020, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was taking my advanced biofield tuning and she said, we have pretty much proved that you could do this remotely. So go experiment. And a month later, <laughs> how perfect was that? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's so cool. So since That's so March cool. of 2020, I've been doing biofield tunings remotely. And it mm. works just fine. And people get yeah. healings. And, and I, I love it because mm. 
You don't need to know what it is. Yes, right. You don't have to get bogged down in the kind of digging into it. You just, it's, everything is energy. Everything's yes. energy. And yes. you can actually repattern, release things without yes. having to unpack them. Yes. And it's, and it's mm. the famous quote from Louise Hay. It's just a thought and a thought can be changed. Mm-hmm. And, and I love this, that it's, this is the practical application of yeah. not having to do affirmations for 21 or 30 days. Mm. You know, you can still, you can do it that way. You can mm-hmm. still, you know, you can absolutely do it. But you have to know what affirmation to do, mm. right? You have to know yeah. what your, your, what your thing is. Tapping the same thing. You need to know what mm. it is that you're tapping for to be mm. fully effective. Mm-hmm. right um hypnotherapy same thing gatekeeper oh my goodness if you're going down the wrong path the gatekeeper is laughing at you <laughs> what are what are like what's like one of the coolest things you've seen happen through the the tuning oh there's the there's two that i love to boast about that i just that i just absolutely adore so one of them was uh, one of my early uh, tuning experiences. A woman came in, um, she, was, she was experiencing a lot of stress in her life. She had three kids, two of them were, were in their teens. One was just about to be in their teens. There was a lot of chaos in the household between her and her husband. She was starting her own Reiki practice. There was just tons of things going on. And so we were going to do stress. So lay her down on the table, do the tuning. Everything is good. She gets up off the table and she starts walking across the room and she goes, I can walk. I was a little confused by this because she'd walked up the stairs (laughs) to my office, walked just fine. I'd seen her walk before. And she said, no, you don't understand. When my third child was born, 16 years before, I was running a daycare center for toddlers, for babies. And I was carrying babies on my hips, Hmm. my own and other people's all day long. And the, for those of you who don't know how women bodies work, she was pregnant with her third one. And the during the, tri- the second and third trimester, the cartilage loosens up and the pelvis opens up and it became permanently open. Oh, oh, wow. It didn't go back into place because she had stressed that cartilage. Oh, so wow. So she was going to a chiropractor like mm-hmm. every two weeks mm-hmm. to kind of put everything back together. Mm-hmm. It spontaneously went back together. Mm-hmm. She had one more visit to the chiropractor. Wow. That's so cool. That's was so cool. not what we were looking for. Yeah. Right. I had no idea she had this. Yeah. So that's my, that's my favorite one. Um, my second favorite is the guy who came in and said, I don't believe in this, but somebody told me I needed to do this. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, I, my job sucks. Uh, he was a, uh, an office manager at mm. a, a clinic and he was making 65K a year and he hated doing this detail mm-hmm. stuff. And he had trained to have something better and he'd just been struggling with it for a year and a half and he had not been able to do it. And he was like, I don't think this is going to work. And I went, oh, I've heard that story before. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. That was my story at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did, I did biofield tuning and about a month later, he let me know that he'd gotten 
another job that pushed him to about 95K hmm. a year where he was the senior administrator for a full clinic. Then he called me, he called me, he said, I want to do another session. So we did another session um, because there were some things going on at work. And he was like, mm -hmm. okay, I recognize that I'm, you know, there's a reflection going on here mm -hmm. and we need to clear this. Yeah. And so we, we did the biofield tuning. We did all of that. He went away, called me up a month later. And he said, well, I just got another job for 130K. Wow. So in, the, in less than a year, he had more than doubled his salary. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. From being a, I don't believe in this, this is total true. Yeah. To like, okay, let's do this again. <laughs> let's do this again. I need to prove this. <laughs> wow. That is so cool. So, so Sue... How can people connect with you? And and I know you have a free a freebie for my my listeners. So can you tell me about those things, please? Yes, yes. So the how, how do people connect with me? First of all, is um, you can always go onto my website, which is sweetsoundofsuccess.com, um, and you can see all about biofield tuning there. And there's also a menu item there that is about my coaching program, which is a combination of coaching and biofield tuning. Oh, very cool. So we're, we're doing the coaching, figuring out what your vision is, what do you want to do? And then we're clearing the stuff out of the way. And oh, by the way, the vision changes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> now, you have, yeah. now that you've cleared this, oh, wow, I can see. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. The gift that I have for you is, we'll, we'll go back to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And what if you get a call to action mm. and you're, you're getting that, oh, I want to do that. Ooh, how can mm -hmm. I do that? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a roughly 2,500 year old technique that I've condensed and made easier to understand than ancient Latin uh, <laughs> working through their <laughs> verbose descriptions of what's going on and it's five steps to eliminating fear and this is little mm. f fear not big f fear mm -hmm. not when your life is in danger when your life yeah. is in danger, do what you need to do right but little f fear is that thing that says i can't do this i don't deserve mm. it nobody will love me you know what will people think all of that stuff and the the funnest part what my favorite part is the first step is all about letting that fear run rampant. Mm, I mm -hmm. love it. You let your fear go and have a party. Right. Yeah. What's the worst thing that can happen? Oh my God, nobody will love me. Everybody will hate me. I'll have to eat worms. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. And then it goes on from there. And by the end of the process, you're clear. Hmm. You're clear of the fear. You're clear about what it is, whether it's a yes or a no or something else. Hmm. That sounds very cool. I'm going to check that out for sure. And, and, you know, whatever your call to action is, you, you do it. And I hmm. believe in this method so much. I mean, I have a little three by five card. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. 
right there that I just keep by my desk. It's right there. And whenever an opportunity comes up or a call to action comes up, there we go. I got it. Nice. And fear is part of the process. Fear is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're all going to experience it on this human journey. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you are being presented with, oh my God, Catherine's program is so awesome. (gasps) But, but, what if transformation looks really awful? Mm-hmm. This program looks so awesome. But, mm-hmm. but what if it brings up things that I don't really want to deal with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do the mm. it's- Love that. Love that. And that, so for my listeners, that will be in the show notes. And I highly recommend you check that out. Yeah. And, and so, Sue, any last um words for my listeners or any anything you would wanted or would have wanted your your earlier version of yourself to know in this process yes and it's really important no one will value you as much as you do Mm. so get it that you are the hero in your journey get it that you are the one capital t capital o You are the one who is worth it. Mm -hmm. And I honor and acknowledge the divine being in you. Mm -hmm. So that you may be that divine being for others. Mm -hmm. And the world needs your light. Dear one, the world needs your light. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much, Sue. I have so enjoyed our conversation. And to to my listeners, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support of the podcast. And if you're wondering how you can do that, you can give me a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Those are all in the links. And that helps to get this message out to, to people who need to hear it. So until next time, remember that you are amazing. You are worthy. You are deserving. And you are absolutely capable of and worthy of creating and living a life that you absolutely love.